Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Worry, It's Confidential. Hello, July. (laughs) July? July. Oh, my God. Whoa. I thought it was June for a second. (laughs) Yeah. How's summer going? How's everyone feeling? Hot? Sexy? Wonderful? I hope so. (laughs) Weekly updates. What is up with my life? I went to a cottage this weekend. I went to actually two cottages this weekend because I have friends in high places. (laughs) It was actually my first time at a cottage this summer and I got to go up early last week and work from there for two days. Happened to be two of my busiest client days in a while, but you know, you can't pick and choose. Sometimes you have to deal with it, but it was so beautiful to finish work and just be able to go walk in the beach with friends. It's my closest family friends cottage that I went to that I've known since I was six years old. And it was just really nice to spend time with my second family. And I got to hang out with a baby, which was amazing. We love that. And then I went to another cottage, my boyfriend's friend's place in Wasaga Beach. First time there also. It's actually gorgeous. Everyone, if you're in Ontario, hit it up. It's probably one of the most stoned places, but somehow I hadn't been and was there for like four days. So it's a nice time away from home. Definitely meant that there was a lot to catch up on when I got back, but you know, no complaints here. Just been seeing clients, editing, doing all the things these past couple days. And on Thursday, I'm going to Wonderland. So look forward to hearing about that next week. (laughs) So overall, life is pretty good. I also have some new plants outside and my tomato plants are growing a few tomatoes. They're like the size of golf balls right now, which is like extremely exciting for me because can't wait to eat one. But it's nice to just see them flourish. And I guess those are my updates for now. Nothing too exciting or insightful this week. Just good times and trying to do it all as usual. This episode is super, super interesting. I loved recording it. I learned so much. It was very cool to hear from this guest who is an abundant source of information. Her name is Jessica Nazareth, and she is my second non-anonymous guest. She was just super fun to talk to. She answered all my questions better than I could have imagined, and I honestly could have talked to her for another two hours because female health, the effect of our hormones on our mental health, how our sexual health influences our mental health, the stigmas, the cultural and societal barriers when it comes to talking about this stuff and feeling empowered about this stuff is so big. And it was just really cool to see somebody doing so much to break those things down from an intersectional lens, bringing in race, gender, sexual identity, all of these things into the conversation and just really kind of challenging the barriers that we all have surrounding talking about sex and pain during sex and all of these topics. So it was extremely exciting to engage in this conversation. I know that you will find it so valuable. I'm sure you will learn something and I definitely recommend connecting with her. She shares all of her information at the end, but it's also in the bio. So just follow her on Instagram, follow her blog, look at her website. I keep going back and looking at it because I'm obsessed. I'm going to start making my own website soon and I'm going to take a lot of ideas from her and enjoy the episodes as always everyone please follow me on instagram share this podcast this one 
has so much information. If you know someone who struggles with this or just like any group of women, just share this because I'm sure that they will get some valuable information from this. Rate and review the podcast. I see some of you do it. Like maybe one person every week does it, but you know, I see you. So thank you for doing it. And if you haven't yet, just go on your app, quickly rate, quickly review. It means so much to me. It helps spread the word. Share this on your story. Do all the things. And I love you all so much. This guest is a recent naturopathic medical graduate. She is doing so much to educate people on reproductive and sexual health from a holistic lens. Through Instagram, her website, and her blog, she shares so much sexual education resources, what she's learned through naturopathic medical school, as well as through her own experience with PCOS. We've actually never met, but after a friend showed me her page, I quickly reached out because I found her content so valuable. I wanted to have her on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. Uh, this is like a big interview for me just because I haven't ever had a non-friend on. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Most of my episodes are just like with friends or people at least I'd met a couple of times. So like this is exciting. First times just, for everything. First times for everything. And I felt like it was a great topic and area that I'm so, so interested in. So I definitely wanted to have you on. But before we get into the topic, I always ask and get to know you questions that are completely random. So get ready. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite TV show? Okay. I mean, I love Grey's Anatomy. I feel like the last season, mm, it's a little iffy. Money Heist was also so good. really good. So good. And Game of Thrones. I know you said one, but those are three solid, solid shows. I love those. Those are all, I love those shows. As soon as you yeah. said Grey's Anatomy, I was like, all right, we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> Skip the part. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. The second one. Would you rather meet a relative from a hundred years in the future or a hundred years in the past? A hundred years in the past. There's a lot of history in my family that I don't necessarily know about. And so I think it would be really cool to see kind of where my roots lie. There's a lot of crossover in different countries and things like that. So I'd love to see where things were back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be so interesting to meet like an ancestor, especially because, you know, like one or two generations, but even more would be like so cool to be see crazy. how they were living. Mm -hmm. Okay. This one's kind of funny just because of your career. But if you had to eat one fast food chain for the rest of your life, what would it be? Ooh. Oh my gosh. Let me think about that. I'm more of like a sweet tooth person. So like fast food restaurants don't really get me, mm -hmm. I will say. But if I had to choose, it'd be like pizza, like some sort of pizza joint. Mm, okay. I'm a pizza person. This is delicious. So <laughs> great, great choice. Amazing. Okay. So let's get into the topic. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Perfect. So today we're talking about female health and we're doing it from a holistic standpoint, which everyone on the podcast knows I love. I wanted to do an episode on this because I'm noticing how many of my friends, including myself and how many of my clients have experienced some sort of pain, discomfort, or just have questions surrounding this area around hormones or just female health, sexual health. And my original list of questions, as you know, when we first talked was like so big. A lot. So yeah. Long. Of course. Um, it's a huge topic. It's a huge topic. And I think that just speaks to how important it is to start addressing it and start getting into it. Mm -hmm. So why don't we start off just you explaining a little bit of your background and what made you decide to go into this area? Yeah. So it's actually really interesting because prior to COVID, I, I knew that I wanted to focus on reproductive health, but I didn't know what that looked like. And I think over the pandemic, I really started to dive into sexual health and I saw this big gap in my profession and mm -hmm. really under 
understanding, like, first of all, a lot of medical providers don't have a lot of education on sexual health. And so that leads to not only people that are medical professionals not broaching these topics, it also leads to patients not bringing it up to their, their healthcare providers. So I saw this gap, whether I was in clinic or whether I was talking to other naturopathic doctors, where it was just an area that we didn't really know or talk a lot about. And so I actually graduated from Western University and I did my undergrad in health sciences mm-hmm. and I did a minor in psychology and I actually focused most of my electives on sexual health, women's studies. And it, it really gave me a little bit of a background, but I never really recognized that until the pandemic started and I started to dive into sexual health and I pulled out my textbooks from four years ago and I was like, ooh, this is really exciting me. Mm-hmm. I am someone who has been raised in a Catholic faith. So it's very much not something that is talked about, mm-hmm. right? So there's a lot of shame around sex. There's a lot of taboos. You don't talk about it. And I've experienced even kind of shaming from medical professionals themselves on this topic. So fast forward to now, I basically just focused all of my research and time in this area because I think there is this amazing power of holistic medicine in sexual wellness as well. Mm. So just seeing the amazing things that have changed with whether it's counseling or whether even just diet changes or understanding the root cause, understanding hormones and how that plays in sexual health, understanding this big picture. And that's what I love about naturopathic medicine. It kind of looks at this big picture of everything. It doesn't just look at your symptoms. It's like, Mm. okay, let's talk about things you went through before. Let's talk about your relationships. Let's talk about your emotional, mental health, physical health, what you eat, your exercise, all of those things actually play into reproductive health more than we think. So I think Mm. it really just opened my eyes into a niche area that is underrepresented in holistic health and something that I was super passionate about. Like it was something that really fired me up. And so, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. That's amazing. That's so interesting to hear how like your background that maybe you didn't really think was like fully at play when you were starting your naturopathic degree ended up kind of creeping back in and showing you like, this is actually an area that you really want to get to explore more. And you were noticing the gap, which I think is like so important for whatever field you're in to notice, like what's missing from this that like could really benefit from this lens. And I think the holistic lens is like the most important thing, whatever type of health we're talking about, whatever type of lifestyle decision we're talking, it kind of all is at play at all times. And yeah, I always try and implement it in terms of like the way that I see clients and also just the way that I see myself and my own problems and what's going on. It's it's not separating one thing from the other. Yeah. We can't have this simplistic view. I would say, I think for too long, we've dealt with things in a very simplistic way instead of looking at all of the factors that play mm-hmm. into each individual's life. And like that even goes down to like intersectional identities and like all of those different pieces that plays a role into someone's health. And it does play out into areas that you might not think of. Like we think of classic things that mm-hmm. in health, it impacts us like psychological health, but then we don't think about sexual health in that way. We don't think about reproductive health in that way, but we're seeing research come out and show how there's intergenerational things passing on generations. There's different things that impact us. And so I think that's why it's important that we recognize that gap, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Oh my God. I have already so many different questions coming up as we're talking about this, because it's just like so much of what I, I believe in and think about. I think bringing in that religious piece that you've mentioned and just bringing in what you've kind of noticed in your experience. Why do you think that sexual health was so neglected when it came to looking at things in a holistic perspective? Yeah, I think there's just this discomfort. I think there is a discomfort. I think in a lot of, it's not just religion, it's also cultures. There's cultural shame that comes with sex. And so it becomes this hush-hush topic. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't talk about it with our parents. We don't talk about it in 
education setting because our sexual education for most of us, if not all of us has been trash, <laughs> like yeah. it's been so bad. And so we have never really been able to be given a safe space until we're way into adulthood. Mm-hmm. And so these different factors, culture, maybe like experiences as a child, maybe your religion, all of these things do play a role in it, but it also is just societal shaming and guilt that you then feel throughout your sexual journey through life. Mm-hmm. It yeah. comes back. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of interplay there from like social cultural perspectives. Um, And that plays out big when we talk about even people from the 2S LGBTQIA community on how that even adds another layer to it. Right. So I think it's just not talked about enough Mm, area, like whether it comes to healthcare providers, whether it comes to your parents, it's just not a broached conversation for most people. Some people have the privilege of being able to have these conversations with parents. That's just not always the case. Yeah. And so our resources are very very limited because for me, I don't know about your sexual education. Mine was very much like abstinence. You will get an STD and that's pretty much it. There was nothing else. Um, I should have said STI there. They've switched the words, but yeah, STI. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's very much like that was, that's all we talked about. We never talked about our bodies. We never really yeah. understood anything. They split us up boys and girls. So all of that already creates this level of shame, right? Like Totally. I personally don't think men should feel uncomfortable around periods. We should be talking about it openly. But unfortunately, when we're in school, we separate boys and girls. So it creates this all unknowingly that all these little things can create this shame over time. And then it builds up into not just societal and communities that are feeling that shame, but also you'll notice it long term in relationships, even self-pleasure. All of those things become kind of this uncomfortable place for a lot of us. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. I preach. I mean, literally, that's so true. And it's interesting to even notice that this stuff is so internalized that it affects from the most micro moment from like you by yourself looking in the mirror to you in an intimate setting to then like even the largest, like the macro systems of medicine and naturopathic Mm -hmm. medicine, it seems. And and all the systems are affected by the shame that we all are taught. And so sometimes it's easy to think like, oh, doctors talk about this stuff without feeling any shame. And that's not actually the case. Like it's not, it's not easy to separate this stuff that each person feels individually to those Uh, settings. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like you put it perfectly. Like it just affects you in different settings throughout your Mm -hmm. life. And I think the medical part of it, that's what really like drives me in that sense, because I will be a naturopathic doctor next year. Like once I finish my exams, but seeing those gaps and even experiencing it myself in terms of that shame, Mm -hmm. whether asked about how many partners I've had, or, you know, those, those different questions and, and their responses to your answers and all of those things do play a role in how you internalize that and how then you will bring up to other future healthcare providers those things. You might never bring it up again because of that one experience. For sure. There's so much trauma surrounding how those things happen and just like internalized shame, like as you mentioned, I guess like let's start maybe there, like talking to a practitioner. What would you suggest if you're having, you're noticing some pain, you're noticing uh, some hormonal imbalances, what would be some of your suggestions to start broaching these topics? Yeah. I think one thing I would say is, is really discover what your healthcare team looks like. So I think we've for so long just thought of healthcare as your medical doctor, the walk-in clinic maybe, or your family doctor and going on that route. But when it comes to pelvic health and reproductive health, there is so much benefit into expanding your medical healthcare team. And so looking at pelvic physiotherapists, looking at counselors, like looking at sex therapists or looking at people that are trauma informed so that they can talk to you as well. Looking at different like naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, like all of these things really play a role. When you're talking to your medical doctor, really any healthcare professional about this, Mm -hmm. you need to make sure that you feel safe. And that is 
is like first and foremost, the most important thing. And mm-hmm. if you don't feel safe broaching this topic with your healthcare provider, then really question if this is a healthcare provider for you, or if it's something that you need to deal with on your own. So for some people, counseling is important. Mm-hmm. Figuring out maybe is there past traumas that are coming up for you, for you not wanting to broach this topic? Is there certain uncomfortabilities? Is there like shame or guilt that's coming up and working through that mindset piece, which is why like a lot of work that I'm doing right now is really focused on pleasure mindset and understanding the mindset around sex. The other part of it is when you're broaching it with medical doctors, feeling like you are safe is as easy as telling someone, you know, this is not working out for me. I need to move my files. Because if, again, like I said before, sexual health is an area of health. The World Health Organization has literally labeled it as an area that we need to focus on because it is so underrepresented. It is not talked about and we're not realizing how that impacts our overall health and well-being. And so Mm -hmm. finding medical professionals, finding a medical doctor or a walk-in clinic or something that you feel confident and feel safe talking about these topics will be good. So for me, what I did, and I know that I'm in a position where like I have some healthcare knowledge. And so I actually went and interviewed doctors and I basically booked kind of a walk-in clinic. And I was saying, I'm looking for a new uh, medical doctor because I experienced some not so great things with my past one. And these are some things that I expect from my medical doctor. Is this something that you're open to? And one of those things was working in a comprehensive way with other healthcare providers, including naturopathic doctors. So that's like one way. Talk about it with your medical Mm. doctor and see if that's an option. But I do think there is, for me, there is a level of maximizing your team a little bit and exploring other venues of healthcare that can support you in those ways. Because like I told you, I was looking at research and it's very clear that there is a lack of education on sexual health when it comes to conventional medical systems. Even in my school, we don't learn everything there is to know. It's something that we need to study outside of school. And so medical providers were saying that they don't feel comfortable bringing up these topics with their patients because they don't know if they have the tools or the means to be able to approach these conversations. So if that is not the case, if we can't go to our medical doctors for these types of conversations, we need to look at other options. We need to find sex therapists. We need to find pelvic physiotherapists or just reproductive focused therapists, gynecologists, even finding a really good gynecologist that you feel safe talking to is going to be big. And like being in Toronto, the problem is, is these wait times are a long time for gynecologists, but knowing that that is an option, maybe you don't bring it up to your general practitioner. Maybe you bring it up to someone who's focused in this area and has a little bit more training on it. Yeah. I think that's so important. And I think it all kind of relates to this idea of taking medical doctors is not like the be all end all. And I think in our society, we glorify them a lot. And so that kind of leads to those moments when a medical doctor dismisses your pain or tells you that it's not a big deal, maybe because of their own shame surrounding it, then you kind of further neglect and don't ask more questions either to them or say like, this is not the right person. Normalizing that like it's okay to choose your doctor and to ask these questions and to be selective and also have a wider team, I think is so important because first of all, like I think anything approached in a team is a lot more holistic again and a lot more beneficial to you in the long term. But I I think it definitely is challenging and it takes that reframing of the way that we see things. A hundred percent. And also like we can't, we can't not acknowledge that there is a level of privilege to be able to expand your team. Obviously these other practitioners are not covered by OHIP, for example. And so the gynecologist aspect of it, I think that is like a really good place to start for a lot of you in terms of like, if you don't have a gynecologist, you only have your MD, just exploring what that might look like. And maybe even researching some gynecologists in the area, looking up reviews and seeing ones that you might want to explore because then that would be covered under OHIP. I know it's totally different depending on where you're listening to this, but there is a level of of 
privilege being able to expand your team. There is a lot of value in it. So if that is accessible to you, I would highly suggest that that would be a good place to work towards. Yeah. And also just starting as well with like what we're doing right now, listening to these types of conversations, connecting with your content. So at least you feel less shameful. You feel like you have more information. And so when you have these conversations, it doesn't feel so intimidating. It's not all in the medical practitioner's hands. You also have something to kind of come to the conversation with. Yeah. It's almost a practice. We've been used to not talking about it. We've been used to feeling shame. And so Mm -hmm. it's not going to come easy to a lot of us to bring these topics up to healthcare providers. And so as we keep stepping out of that comfort zone and feeling safe with our practitioners to be able to do so, we'll be able to kind of broach those topics a little bit easier and feel more secure in our sexual health and and feel like we're embracing our sexual wellness in a way instead of kind Mm -hmm. of denying it like we've been almost trained to do where it's just kind of something we don't talk about or if we talk about it, like you said, it's normalized. You talk Mm -hmm. about sexual pain. It's kind of like, oh, it's probably nothing. Just like try some lube and that's about it. We don't look anything deeper, you know? Mm -hmm. So just looking at those different areas would be good. Yeah, exactly. Speaking about like looking kind of further past that, looking a bit deeper, obviously as a therapist, the whole mental part of this is a really big interest of mine. And I also think it's so related. So I would love your take on like, what do you think the connection is between mental health or mental state and sexual health? Yeah, I think it's way bigger than we think. I think it's an area of research that I hope is dove into a little bit more. So just to break it down, there's desire and there's arousal. Desire is that mental component, that feeling of wanting to engage in sexual experience. Mm -hmm. Then there's the arousal part. That's the physical experience. That is when you're you're vaginally lubricated, your heart rate is racing, maybe your hair standing up, you're very excited, you're feeling those bodily responses. There can be a disconnect between those things. So you might be, you know, wanting to have sex, but then those areas of physical bodily responses are not showing up. And so there is something called arousal non-concordance. And that's what that is. There's a disconnect between desire and arousal, and it can kind of go both ways, which I can get into a little bit later. But the whole point is that there is this connection between the mind and the brain Mm -hmm. and then our body. And so in order to have vaginal lubrication, our brain needs to send signals to our genitals. In order to have blood flow to the genitals, to have erections or have clitoral stimulation, we need that connection to be running smoother. And so there is the actual physiological connection between our brain and our genitals, which is one area. But then there's also specifically when we talk about anybody with a vulva and clitoris, we're talking about that mental component big time. Because if you look at, if you think about your own experiences, if you think about talking to friends, there's a lot of things mentally that plays a role. So if you're stressed, if you're going through a a hard time in life, if you're going through anything mentally, you'll notice that playing out in your pleasure. You'll notice that maybe delaying orgasm or maybe just not being able to be aroused at all because there is that connection. So I think really exploring both sides, the brain and the mind, the brain from a physiological connection with our genitals and other erogenous zones, and then also looking at our mind, looking at the psychological well-being and how that connects. I think that would be a huge area of research, which I hope that they will dive into, but I'm seeing it with, or I saw it with patients when I was in clinic last year. Mm -hmm. And it was very clear that a lot of the patients that were experiencing any issues with their sexual health or pleasure also had stress or anxiety, or depression, Mm -hmm. or something along those lines that played a huge role. And so I actually had a patient who was having really high anxiety. And I'm actually publishing a paper as long as it gets approved, hopefully, um, (laughs) on this 
specific patient because we didn't treat necessarily anything specific to sexual like genital stimulation or anything around arousal or anything like that. We gave her some tools. We worked on mindset. We did that. But a big piece of our care was actually treating her anxiety. And so she went from really low desire, never having an orgasm to having orgasms, super high desire, feeling sexually aroused just through the work that we did. And it wasn't even that long of a period of time. And so looking at those pieces that oftentimes are not addressed if you're bringing up low sexual desire in a healthcare setting, you know, talking about how our stress, our anxiety, our depression, which is really, really highly prevalent right now as we think about the pandemic. I'd be curious to see how that's been affecting our sexual health and our reproductive health. And it's probably huge. Yeah. It is huge. It is huge. I can tell you from my end of yeah. like seeing clients in that way is it's huge. And mm-hmm. I've had several experiences, many experiences with clients coming in for depression, anxiety, and then getting into, oh, my relationship is suffering or I'm having issues in this. And then when the trust is developed, getting into the sexual aspect and seeing all the layers that play into that. First of mm-hmm. all, the shame surrounding talking about it and the shame surrounding why isn't this working well for everybody else? It's easy for me. It's not. Oh. And then, which is like this narrative that's so untrue, but it's really fixated. It's like I'm broken and no one else is. Yeah. 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 And women take a lot of that pain on or a lot of that pressure on. Mm-hmm. And then seeing as we talk about this, all the layers that come into that. I've had clients with religious trauma who are scared to talk and scared to even feel sexual pleasure. Then clients who are experiencing actual physical pain through a tr- getting an IUD placed in and having that be a thing. And then also the relational stuff that comes out as well. Like sex isn't just the 30 minutes or whatever it is in the bedroom, it's the 360 for a lot of us. It's the, how the relationship is, how people are showing their love and intimacy outside of the bedroom. And Mm -hmm. that all plays into the layers of how we relate to each other intimately. And it's so interesting. Yeah. That's huge. Like it's just, it's not just the bedroom. It's not just that time. It's everything else before and after that you're left with feeling or experiencing. That's huge because like, like you said, pain with sex, it's really, really common. And when we look underneath the surface, yes, there's things like endometriosis or fibroids or pelvic inflammatory disease or pelvic floor dysfunction. Like there's so many different things we can think of of a physiological perspective, but there's also think about how that pain is affecting this person's relationship or this person's quality of life or their pleasure. All of those areas do end up taking a hit too. And so it's kind of, that's the thing that I love about holistic medicine is we can pull all those pieces together into this like cake of let's treat the root cause, but also make you feel better about yourself, make you feel better about your life, your relationships, just feel good overall, instead of just looking at this micro lens, simplistic view of health. Yes, for sure. I think there's also so much guilt associated with experiencing pain and not being able to push past it. A big thing like I've experienced in my life and I think most women can relate to is being in pain and still having to like be a regular person, be a businesswoman, be a student, be whatever it is that you are and show up. And I think that once pain gets to a certain extent, you can't show up. And then that shame that comes up from that. So I guess if you're experiencing pain with sex, where would you start to look? Yeah. So I would say this is kind of split up into three areas. So first you want to talk to your medical doctor or healthcare professional and try to rule out any sort of physical causes. So whether that's hormonal imbalances, it could be pelvic inflammatory disease, STIs, endometriosis. There's a lot of different conditions that can lead to painful sex. So you want to look Mm -hmm. into those. They'll check your symptoms. They'll look at maybe a physical exam, maybe some swabs, maybe some blood tests that kind of get like a good comprehensive understanding of anything going on. 
on underneath the surface. From that point, your medical doctor or your holistic practitioner or a naturopathic doctor can treat the root cause. And so if we look at something like endometriosis, for example, you can definitely experience pain with sex. A medical doctor might treat that with birth control. A naturopathic doctor might look at that and treat it with things like anti-inflammatory diets, different herbs and things like that to kind of combine and create like a really comprehensive plan. So that's number one. You Mm -hmm. want to rule out any conditions, create your team and treat the root cause. Then you want to look at your relationships. So now we're moving on to more of like that mental emotional piece. So we have your relationships. Maybe it's talking to your partner or partners about the pain that you're experiencing, when you experience it, what helps it, what makes it worse. Really having those open conversations that are super important. And yes, sometimes uncomfortable to broach those topics, but super important to not just your pleasure, but your relationship as well, to be able to have those open discussions. And then the last thing is self-exploration. A lot of us haven't really been told or encouraged is a better word to explore ourselves. And so that looks like mirror activity. Everybody, if you're (laughs) listening to this, take out a mirror and look at your vulva, look at your clitoris, look at your vaginal opening, look at the different parts and really be comfortable with your body and explore some self-pleasure, some self-exploration to figure out what you like, what you don't like. Are you feeling a pain just in partnered sex? Or are you also experiencing pain in masturbation or solo play? So those are all things that can kind of create this comprehensive approach to your pain and then be able to solve the pain. And so with the mental emotional component, yes, it's about self-exploration, talking to relationships. It might also be looking at counseling and sex therapists and making sure that you find someone who is equipped and trained and has the education and comfortability to broach this topic because you do not want to be spending money and going to someone who is uncomfortable around sex. So that's kind of like a a good kind of overview of what I would suggest. Yeah. I think that is so helpful. I think it's so helpful for someone who's experiencing pain, but just for all of us to take some of those tips and to look into not only how we cannot experience pain, but also how we can experience more pleasure and being more comfortable with ourselves and exploring ourselves and, and finding the right people to support us, the right team to support us. It all, it all comes together to be super, super important. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. So the next area that I wanted to talk about was a connection between hormones and mental health as a therapist. That's such an important aspect for me, something I've really noticed with my clients. So I would love for you to share a little bit about that along with your personal experience uh, with PCOS, because I think that's very related as well. Yeah, for sure. So we can't talk about hormones without talking about the menstrual cycle. And so the menstrual cycle is not just when you bleed, it starts on day one of your period and ends on the next day one of your period. So that's the usual course. It can range from 28 days. It could be 26 days, 35. There's kind of that optimal range. And once Mm -hmm. we get a little bit irregular, like for PCOS, you're looking at cycles that are irregular, not showing up at the same time and can be longer than 36 days. And so there's different markers just looking at your menstrual cycle overall that you can track. I would highly suggest tracking on an app, but you could track and look for any abnormalities. The other part is understanding that through that menstrual cycle, whether it's 28 days or 30, there is different fluctuations in our hormones. And so right in the center of that cycle, you are ovulating. Usually it's at the center. It can range again, but at that ovulation point, that's kind of the halfway point. So that takes you from your follicular phase into Mm -hmm. your luteal phase. And so when we're in our follicular phase, that's where we're looking at things like estrogen and how that's impacting us. When we look at our our post ovulation phase or luteal phase, we're looking at progesterone and this is a more of a calming hormone. And so in that phase, we see progesterone and estrogen together working together. And when they're in optimal 
kind of ratios or optimal balance, we are happy. Mm -hmm. We are not experiencing a lot of PMS symptoms, but when we have any sort of really heightened estrogen, or if we have low progesterone, so it's not really counteracting the effects of estrogen, we can notice things like changes in our moods. We might notice bloating. We might notice acne. There's all of those PMS or premenstrual symptoms that show up. And so during our cycle, it's, it's a really good tell into not just how we're feeling with our menstrual cycle in terms of our period, but also how we're feeling mentally overall. So around ovulation, we're noticing those changes in hormones again. And this is around the time where you're going to feel more aroused, more desire, more excited, more productive. And so a lot of people talk about this thing called uh, cycle syncing. So what mm-hmm. you're doing is you're timing workouts, you're timing even like if you run a business, maybe you're timing certain work when you're working really hard during those times where you can be more productive. And that's usually around your follicular ovulation phase. And so looking at that, when we talk about mental health, we could see those overlaps between our hormones and our menstrual cycle and our mood and our productivity and our anxiety and our stress because it all plays a role. And so in my case, I have PCOS. And so for me, this was something that was diagnosed in high school. I noticed my periods were really irregular. I was having extra hair growth on my face, which was really crappy for my self-esteem. And so I ended up exploring ways to deal with it. And Mm -hmm. so I started seeing a naturopathic doctor. We got some things under control. I noticed my hair on my face was getting better. And then fast forward to now, it's like this long journey, really. It's it's this ongoing journey for me where I am not really ever going to stop caring for my PCOS because it is something that not only affects my mood, it affects your vaginal health. It affects all these different things in your life. Mm -hmm. It affects your self-esteem because, you know, there's people who have acne. I was experiencing some pretty significant hair loss. So how are those things not going to impact your mental health? How are those things not going to impact your sexual health or relationships? Because you're feeling these different things, different bodily changes that you don't feel like you have a lot of control over. And so looking at those like underlying things is why I always say I I love my profession for that because we look at the root cause of conditions or your symptoms. And so for hormones specifically, I would highly suggest that we all just get at least one panel of our hormones done. So we understand what's going on and making sure that things are in optimal levels. And that's kind of the difference between conventional medicine and naturopathic medicine conventional medicine, their ranges are very much to determine if you have disease, whereas our ranges are are looking at optimal levels. And so Mm -hmm. we're looking at those optimal levels for throughout your cycle. And and the other really important piece here is when you're getting these hormones tested. And so if you go to your medical doctor, a lot of the times they're just kind of handing you a lab requisition, go take it whenever you want. It's actually not accurate at all to be doing that. Because like I said, throughout your cycle, these different hormones are peaking and dropping and peaking and dropping these big waves of hormones. So you need to get them tested to be accurate Mm -hmm. on the right days. So I would say day three, you're going to want to get LH, FSH, and estrogen tested. Day 21, if you have a 28-day cycle or seven days post-ovulation, you're going to want to get progesterone checked. And this is just a good way to make sure that you are functioning optimally and then also trying to see if there's any root causes below the symptoms that you're complaining about. So yeah, it's Mm -hmm. a really good insight that a lot of us unfortunately don't get unless we are in the extremes of pain or extremes Mm -hmm. of irregularity. Like you you need to not be having a menstrual cycle for months before people are looking into these things. Whereas for me, I think it's something, you know, once you have a regular cycle, it's something that we should all just be getting tested Mm -hmm. so that we have some insight into that. I think that's like so, so important. I'm literally going to go book an appointment to test my hormones right after this. And I'm sure a lot of people will. I think it's so, so important. And I have found so much like people talking to me about pain, about bloating, about acne, about all these things. And then they say, but 
but my mental health is bad and I don't get why my mental health is bad. I'm like, it is so connected. Like, how could you Mm -hmm. feel good if you're experiencing all of these symptoms at the same time, these symptoms that stop you from experiencing things, let alone like the actual hormonal effects on mood. So it's so important to acknowledge this because I think it's an area that we all kind of feel like, oh, it's not an important thing to look at. We should just be used to fluctuations or we should be able to power through fluctuations when it's just something we have to go through. Like that's the key. It's it's just, it's normal part. It's just a normal part of being a woman. It's just a normal part, you know? So yeah, I think it's, I think you brought up a really good point where it's kind of, it's not just about the hormones maybe causing changes in your mood or anxiety. It's also those hormones causing some sort of condition or symptoms Mm -hmm. that are impacting your mental health. There's those two ways to approach this for sure. Yeah. Personally, I got like really into like cycle syncing and all this kind of stuff a couple of years ago and went like four or five years without like any hormonal birth control. I guess now I'm on an IUD and a hormonal IUD and that that was just the best thing for me. I guess for all those people that are on some sort of contraceptive, like how does that affect like if they want to test their hormones or if they're trying to gain insights on what's going on with them? Like what would you say to them? Yeah. So it totally depends on what type of contraception you're on. So a copper IUD shouldn't impact your hormones. A hormonal IUD honestly has pretty local effects in the uterus. So it also shouldn't cause too many fluctuations in your hormones um, because usually with hormonal IUDs, you're still ovulating, but it's preventing implantation in any of the actual, it has the contraceptive action still. As with birth control, like, like the oral contraceptive pill, that is where we're actually stopping ovulation. And so that is a, a situation where we are no longer going through those ebbs and flows in our menstrual cycle of hormones. And so with the oral contraceptive pill, even the NuvaRing and things like that, we're looking at more significant side effects when it comes to mood and bloating and different things like that, um, depending on the person, of course, mm-hmm. uh, because we're actually stopping a very important part of our hormones, which is ovulation. The ovulation is what triggers our body to create progesterone. And so without progesterone, like I said, it's a calming hormone. Without it, we can notice some changes in our mood. That is so supported by research. It's insane. And I think a lot of people who have been offered the oral contraceptive pill, that's not necessarily what they're being told. And so if this is the best choice for you, that is totally fine. But it's an important part of informed consent to be told about what the research shows very, very clearly. And so when we look at that, you know, the, the pill does have something called progestin. It is a synthetic hormone, but it does not have the same effects as progesterone. And I think that is the big piece. So the progestin does not have the same calming effects as progesterone. And there's these these differences that happen where your body is now depleted of that calming, grounding, balancing hormone. And so really understanding number one, is this the best contraceptive form for me? If it is, great. How can I support myself? So there's different things that you can do. There's nutrient deficiencies that happen with the birth control pill. So maybe that's exploring naturopathic medicine or nutritionist or someone that can help support those deficiencies to help with your energy and mood. There's different things. There's totally different things that you can do while on the pill, when you're getting off the pill or after, you know, to figure out what is the best form of action for you. But it's important from an informed consent perspective that you know what's happening below the surface. And I think that is something that we lack so much as women or as anybody that menstruates, we lack so much knowledge about our body because we were never taught about it. And when we don't have knowledge, we can't be empowered to make decisions that are best for us. We can't ask the right questions and we feel super alone in our journey because we've never learned about all of these different things that can happen in our bodies and what the cause of it is. Mm -hmm. And so that's my thing. There is no shame around taking hormonal contraceptives or not doing like the more cycle syncing approach. There's no shame in any of those, but it's important that you know 
the risks of all of them, the benefits of all of them so that you can make a decision. Yeah. I love that so much. I think that's so important. I think sometimes I've gotten into spaces of reading, of listening to like the more natural perspective. And sometimes there can be some like stigma or shame surrounding taking a pill. But at the same time, like there's so much freedom. There's so much choice that taking the oral contraceptive pill can give you. And for some people, it works really well. But I think like what you said, informing yourself on what can happen in all of these choices and and seeing how you can best support yourself. I think that's like the most important thing. And talking to people about it, sharing experiences. I know when I was picking my next form of birth control, I bounced off so many friends and said, what was your experience and learn from each other. And I think that's like such an important part of like female health as well as like sharing stories with each other and community 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 is really big, really big. Yeah. I'm just like clapping this whole conversation. (laughs) This is all I needed. Yeah. I guess another aspect that I wanted to talk about when it comes to speaking about this and sort of the shame-free discussions, you mentioned your religious background and and all that. I want to hear from your perspective. What has it been like opening your platform to talking about this? How have you found that within like your family, your social group, as well as just like the internet? How's that been for you? Yeah. Very interesting to say the least. Like it kind of happened suddenly and I don't think anybody was prepared. Let's put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) I went from just posting about PCOS and general naturopathic medicine to like sex. And that is all I'm going to talk about and Mm -hmm. vaginal health. And I'm using the words that we have been trained not to use. I'm saying vagina. I'm saying orgasm. I'm saying all of these things that people are so uncomfortable with. And so I've had, had to have conversations with my family and given my my background as someone who is Indian, as well as the Catholic faith, there is obviously fears that I had bringing that up, but it's been quite supportive from like my immediate family. I think Mm -hmm. it's really just that extended or friends of friends that see my content and and they're like, um, is Jess okay? Like, is she okay? Like what happened, you know? And so for me, I I know that's, what's going to come with this, whether it's people I know or don't know. And I'm just willing to continue it because it is something I like, I, I can't even express, like it is something that I find the energy to talk about and to research and to create content about, because it's just, there's, there's so many gaps in, in what we're learning about. And so even someone as someone from the, the LGBTQIA2S plus community that also added a layer into my journey, into what I'm posting in a more inclusive way. So throughout this conversation, you've noticed that I have swapped between, you know, using the word women when we're talking about kind of a social construct, but also talking people with vulvas because it is something that is super important. And so there's different concepts there that definitely were hard for people around me to understand, but it's been a lot of education for people that I care about. And then a lot of just letting go of other people's opinions when they're not someone that's necessarily in my closer. It's definitely been a journey and I'm assuming it's going to continue to be a journey as people learn about my career, but I'm willing to do it because it is something that just, I like, I knew this was it for me and I will continue to push for that no matter what people have to say, because I know the impact that this topic will have on people's lives. And that's, yeah, that's all I really need is just making sure that even if there's one person that listens to this podcast that feels heard or feels ready to explore things a little bit, or just feels a little bit like they're ready to take a step towards understanding their sexual health, like all of those things. I'm happy. I'm yeah. good. 
you know? Oh my God. I love that so much. I mean, I can see like when you speak about this, like the amount of passion that comes through in your facial expression and your voice and, and, and just how much knowledge you have in this, it really feels like you found your purpose. And that sometimes is so strong that regardless of the difficulties and the barriers and the shame that people can put on you, you continued. So that's amazing to see and super, super inspiring. I definitely wanted to bring in this idea of shame-free discussions, inclusion, diversity, and you really brought in that intersectional lens by disclosing your identities and all these things, I guess, like talk to the audience a little bit about why it's important to bring this into the sexual space. Yeah, I think in general, in health, it is extremely important to bring in that lens. Um, when I was in university, we I was in health sciences. And the one thing I did like about being in health sciences, we learned about the social determinants of health, whether mm-hmm. that's income, gender, there's all these different social determinants that impact our health. And I think that is something that we don't talk about as with all the things that we've talked about today on this podcast. Um, (laughs) And so I think when it comes to intersectionality and how that impacts health, I think it's important that we recognize the differences and disparities that exist that are very clear in the stats, but also very clear in people's reports of their experiences in health and their own experiences with their own health. So in their healthcare setting, they've experienced disparities, but in their own body, they have experienced different things depending on their own social constructs and the different social groups that they're a part of. And so for me, being part of the LGBTQIA2S plus community has been definitely an eye-opener for me in terms of how the sexual wellness space is very heteronormative. Yeah. And so, you know, using certain words in terms of the people I'm talking to in terms of the language of anatomy and in terms of my assumptions of their relationships. And we all have biases and it's not, we're not going to be perfect. I'm not going to be perfect. This is something I'm continuously working on, continuously having open conversations about, but it is an area that I think is so, so, so important. There's already shame around sex, but there has been so much shame coming out There's been so much shame talking about sex in certain cultures. So looking at all of those pieces in someone's identity and how they play a role in their sexual health is so huge. And so me, like obviously being a person of color and then also being part of the community, there's definitely been those intersections for myself. Mm. And so- even though it might be different to the next person and the next person, the next person, it's important that all of us as a community recognize how our own intersectional identities impact our health overall. When we talk about sexual wellness, there is that shame that I think is further perpetuated for minorities through different constructs, whether that is religion, whether that is society, whether that is your medical doctor who maybe misgendered you or misgendered your partner, like all of these different pieces that makes us more and more shameful and more and more discomfort around bringing up these topics. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm literally like here just nodding along. I think this is like, yeah, this is like the most important thing to name. I think you've named it so well and you've explained it so well, how it all interconnects. And that's why I chose social work and why I love social work is because we don't just look at like what's going on in the brain or like a specific disease. We see the whole picture and see how much culture, religion, um, neighborhood access, whatever it is, influences our health and wellness. And it goes so deep and it perpetuates and becomes a cycle. And I think, yeah, it's amazing to hear you speak on it and to see your page continually like growing and evolving. I even like I stock creeped you back and you started mentioning like now I'm I'm using more inclusive terms than I ever have and I lose followers when I do. But knowing that that's so important to continue doing that. Yeah, I think it's like 
such important work that you're doing. So I'm so happy that you came on here and, and chatted about it. I mean, um, the beauty of social media, you're going to, yes. you're going to have people that are not going to be happy with your words or what you're saying. I had this one reel that ended up reaching a lot of people and it was about my experience with, and it kind of really ties in well with this conversation. It, it was about my experience with a uh, pelvic ultrasound because with PCOS, I have to have regular pelvic ultrasounds to check on my cysts. And so it was interesting because in this experience, I actually experienced a lot of pain with the pelvic ultrasound as it is inserted into the vagina. And so when I experienced that pain, the, the technician actually yelled at me. And so I shared this experience on this reel and so many people connected. It was insane. And there was probably, let's say like 500 comments that were of people feeling, wow, I'm so happy that you've shared this. Like I have felt the same thing, or I, I had this experience with a speculum exam or a pap test or with an IUD insertion or something along those lines where there's these traumas that are happening in the medical field. Yes. And then you have this, these individuals that look at what I shared and thought that it was too much information, thought that I was sharing too much personal information. And that is like the perfect dichotomy of what we're dealing with. We're yes. dealing with people who need community, people who need to be heard, people who need to feel like their problems are not just their problems and that we are all experiencing it. And then you have those naysayers that are constantly telling us that we shouldn't be talking about these things. Yeah. Right. Also, those naysayers are probably the ones that are also experiencing pain and discomfort and sex because they feel so much shame surrounding 100%. it. So yeah. It's all, so it's, it's work. It all works together and it shows perfect example of like what we've been trained to not talk about, yeah. what we have been trained to shame ourselves for talk about, talking about. And then also kind of that medical trauma that plays a role in sexual health and, and, um, even just like pleasure and desire and arousal and all of those things overall. Yeah. So yeah, that was, yeah, that was definitely an interesting, interesting experience. Yeah. I, I think it's like so important to share those stories. And I definitely like relate when I got my IUD, I was like felt a, it, it's a certain type of pain that you it's very intimate. Obviously, it's like one of the most intimate parts of your body and you're experiencing in a medical environment, which isn't always the most comforting, some, some pain and discomfort. And it's important to talk about how that can be. And I'm sorry that you had that experience with a medical professional telling you essentially that your pain isn't okay, or that you shouldn't have reacted that way. That's yeah, kind of, of the course. opposite it, of what you it, needed. It is something I think at the time that I shared the real, I had healed from it, but it yeah. made me so sad. Like it broke yeah. my heart to see how many stories there were, Yeah, how many stories and experiences that people have ex like have had in such intimate settings with medical professionals. And that's the thing. It is a super sensitive, intimate procedure. And people have histories of sexual or just physical trauma or any emotional trauma that plays a role into that. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's as medical professionals, we are trained to do no harm. It broke my heart to see how many people related to it. Cause I, I truly didn't ex I expected that people would relate to it on some level, but the way that people related to it really blew me away. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, that's so, I think that must've been very inspiring for you to continue to share what, what you're doing, mm -hmm. but also sad noticing that yeah, that's so it's prevalent. Both, for it's sure. Both, it's both. Okay. Well, the question that I had, and it's a bit like more out there and it's just something that I'm interested in because I heard you sort of allude to it. So I want to see your perspective. I think there's all this work and research coming out on like intergenerational trauma and those effects and yeah, all that aspect. I guess I'm wondering like, what's your perspective on sexual health and like inter intergenerational trauma and things that are passed down through our families? Uh, intergenerational trauma affects all of it. It's a very interesting area of research. 
research. Mm -hmm. So basically when your grandma was pregnant with your mom, your mom had her eggs at that time. So your grandma's emotional circumstances during pregnancy, her diet, her everything at that point was already affecting you. Yeah. And so it's, it's really interesting because when we look at intergenerational trauma, we could see how those effects affect long-term because it is so long lasting. And so when we think about the fact that, you know, your grandmother's health during pregnancy impacts you, it blows my mind really when you think about it. But when you think about anybody that's pregnant, you know, their mm-hmm. emotional state, their stress can impact their pregnancy. And it's not just their physical symptoms, but it'll impact hormones in their body, like cortisol. That's a stress hormone that can high when you're dealing with more of that fight or flight stress state. Mm-hmm. And that could be passing on through the body. And all of these different changes that happen when you're just generally stressed is now happening, not just to you, not just to the baby, but to all of the eggs that are within that baby. If the baby has eggs, obviously, if it's a a boy, that's not going to be the case. But Mm -hmm. in this case, that is what's happening. And so when we, when we really, really sit and think about how that affects us, even from a physiological place, there's definitely an impact intergenerationally on reproductive health, sexual health, because it affects our health overall. Think from a traumatic perspective and just general intergenerational aspects of it, I think there's definitely that aspect. You will see patterns, even for me, as I'm working through counseling myself, I'm doing a lot of inner child work, a lot of intergenerational work, because it is very clear how my views on my life, my views on my relationships, my views on so many things is not just impacted by me and my siblings, not just my parents, but their parents and their experiences growing up and their experiences through the world. And so when we think about sex, if your parents never talked about sex and their parents never talked about sex, there's no way you were, ta- you were told or encouraged to talk about sex. Mm-hmm. And so not just from a physiological place, but we're looking at like social expectations, when we're looking at cultural expectations, when we're looking at mental, emotional components of sexual wellness, we're seeing that pass down from generations. That was exactly what I wanted to hear. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, perfect. I'm like, perfect. Perfect answer. A plus. (laughs) No, but I I think it's so important to look at those things. I think there's so much that sometimes we feel like, oh, that's not really what I feel or what I think, but it's really still affecting the way that I feel about this thing or the way that I feel intimately with a partner or the way that I view myself. And I think it's important, like with everything kind of today is like zooming out, seeing your wider social uh, circle, your community, your culture, your, the generations before you, all of these things and seeing how they influence you as an individual and all of these things that you're experiencing. It's, it's really important because once you identify, then you can actually get to first awareness and then eventually changing those patterns for yourself. And also for your kids and their kids. Yeah, and their kids. Yeah. <laughs> Just future generations in general. And even if like you don't have kids, you'll impact the generations of kids around you. Yeah. Whether exactly. your siblings have kids or whatever, there's always those changes that we can make to help future generations because I definitely can see this notion of shame and guilt and and uncomfortability around sexual health and even vaginal health. And we didn't really talk about that today, but that's also a huge piece. You know, we, we talk about what, what vulvas are supposed to look like where we're talking about, Oh, I have never orgasmed. What does that mean? I'm broken. We have things around like vaginal odor and different infections, like all of these things. We have so much shame and discomfort. That's not just perpetuated by society, but also in media, you see it in, in movies, you see it in porn, you see it in all of these different things that constantly perpetuate 
perpetuate this narrative of shame. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's like you said, it's like really taking that zoom out approach, really trying to look at all of these different things that play a role. And I will forever say that shame is like a huge part in so much of this. Yes. Yeah. It's such a huge part. It's like the, the thing that keeps feeding all of these negative cycles, negative thoughts and pain and everything. It kind of just like feeds pain, not from a psychological perspective, if it's psychological pain, but also from a physical perspective, because it stops you from getting help to, to Mm -hmm. resolve those things. So yeah, I think that conversations like this, and then if this makes you kind of start engaging with this type of content or having conversations with people you trust around you is I think already doing the work to make you have a better sexual life. Yeah. hundred (laughs) percent. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing to be ashamed of. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just, I always want to just end off here with this around shame and sexuality. There's mm-hmm. also people who fall on the ACE spectrum where they're asexual yes. in some way, shape or form. And there's shame in that too. It's like, we're shamed to talk about sex too much, but we're also shamed if we don't want to have sex. <laughs> there's no middle. There's no, mm-hmm. there's nothing to really make anybody happy when it comes to this conversation. And I, and I, and I think that's so important because it does speak to how deep this goes. It's not just about maybe one expectation around sex. It's like deep in terms of how you should be talking about sex. And I think there is that level around women or people socialize as women. Like there is that level of how you need to be approaching sex and you need to be prim and proper and you shouldn't be talking about this. You shouldn't be having too much. You shouldn't have too many partners you shouldn't like shouldn't 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 yeah you should be doing this you know and there's so much expectations all the way around and so having to work on that like you said it's work it's It's work work. it's not just something that you might be able to do on your own you might need help with whether that's a community your partner counselors healthcare providers you need support because this shit runs deep (laughs) it runs totally and i think there's so much improvement and so many more conversations happening so like maybe cognitively you're like oh i'm there i don't feel shame but i i challenge you to check in with your body right now like what does your Mm -hmm. body feeling because sometimes we can think like oh my god I'm the most free person in the world but some of that stuff runs so deep like we said intergenerationally that maybe you feel yourself tensing up as you think about having this type of conversation Mm -hmm. and so that's also a cue into this whole thing and how deep shame really is Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I definitely want to give you some space to share about what you do, like in terms of your blog, your website, Instagram, where people can find you and also your workbook talking about that. And so, um, yeah, just let everyone know what you want to share. Yeah. So, um, I'm kind of in this like phase of transition between graduation and getting my license as a naturopathic doctor, but what I'm doing over this next year is really building some sexual education, uh, courses and resources so that people can feel like they can start these conversations. So the first one that I'm launching is going to be the pleasure mindset guide. It is all about the mindset. It is all about things that might be holding you back from really tapping into your pleasure. And mm-hmm. so all you would have to do is go to pleasuremindset.com. You can also go to my website. There'll be links there as well if you are able to find it for some reason or you didn't type that URL, right? But yeah, we will be providing that. And then there's going to be some webinars, some live webinars, as well as some recorded webinars, just to kind of further expand on this topic. I think it's definitely a topic that I can talk about for days, <laughs> like four days. And so I will be doing that. Otherwise I have my Instagram right now. It's journey to naturopathy. I'm also on TikTok, which I'm slowly starting to post some more educational content. Um, and then on my blog, that is really kind of an uncensored 
censored area for information because unfortunately on Instagram, there is a lot of censoring that I need to do with wording um, Mm -hmm. because of some censoring on sexual health and sexual education. So uh, between all of that, you can stay connected with me. And of course, you can jump on my email list where I'll be sending some really quick insight into what to expect over the next year as I build my business and start coaching. Beautiful. I'm sure everyone's going to want to connect with you and and hear more about this because it's been so enlightening even for me and and the knowledge that I do have, I feel like it's just the tip of the iceberg now I'm realizing. So, um even me though, even yeah. me though, like <laughs> I'm only at the tip of the iceberg. So, yeah. you and me both. Good, good. Okay, well, amazing. The the last question that I always ask all of my guests is what's something that you have in your life right now that in the past you always wanted? Wow. Um I think think for me, it's confidence emotionally in this space. So whether it's me being able to come out last year, really being able to step into my sexual like pleasure and things like that, there's this confidence that I have that I never had before. So I think that is, Mm. that is what I would say to that. Beautiful. I love that so much. Thank you so, so much for sharing so vulnerably and knowledgeably. Is that a word? No, but we're going to go for it. We're going to use it. We're We're going to use use it. And yeah, I'm going to link everything in, in the description so that people can connect with you in the easiest way possible. And yeah, thanks again. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you everyone who is listening and I'm sure we'll keep in touch and we'll see. You yes. I can see again. a part two in my mind. I already have a million. Yeah, I know. It's like <laughs> brewing. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Thank, thank you so much.